December 10th, 2020. Let's do this. My name is David Oliver, and this is my podcast, Overtime with Oliver. Overtimers, before I go on, thanks for the reviews and the emails this week following the episode with Art Holiday. Much appreciated. Today we sit down with Kelly Peach from St. Patrick's Center, talk about people contributing positively to the fabric of St. Louis, just documenting important people, places, and events in the loop. My two cents on whether a vaccine created in nine months will be safe. How did we decide it needed to take three years and billions of dollars? Three things you should if you have not. Number one, a Netflix. We talk about this at the end of the conversation yesterday. The movie about what life would have been like without the Beatles. Number two, on Netflix, the movie Mank, centered around but not exclusive to who actually wrote Citizen Kane. Again, this is not just about Rosebud, it's a timepiece, but what Hollywood was like at this time of the movie and how folks had to battle the corporate machine. This is where I ask you to subscribe to the podcast. If you have not, helps me get fun St. Louis conversations in front of more ears. If you want, you can also go to YouTube, check out our OT with Oliver YouTube channel and see St. Louis 7s where I ask guests of the podcast St. Louis questions. Didn't do one with Kelly, we'll get around to it. Number three, if you have not, go check out a previous episode we had on OT with Dan Buck. He's currently captain of the Powerplex ship, but his contributions to what St. Patrick's Center is today should not be forgotten. So, Kelly Peach, it takes a lot of great people to create the sum of St. Patrick's Center's parts. If there were more Kellys, each very important cause would be in a better place. Today we address people experiencing homelessness and the significance that is St. Patrick's Center. Welcome to the Overtime family, Kelly Peach. Go to Overtime. Overtime with Oliver, with my dad. Tell your friends. When you told me we weren't doing the video, I went out and got a tuxedo, went out and got a haircut. Styling. I'm ready to win it if you are. Yeah, so we are in the middle of the holiday season. Everybody's affected differently by COVID. How is COVID affecting St. Patrick's? Really just about like you would imagine. So you've got our core mission is to help people who are homeless or at risk of becoming homeless. So that secondary population being at risk is now huge. I mean, you've got people that are facing eviction. Um, of course, there's been moratoriums on evictions, but I think that's going to go away by the end of the year. So you've got people that haven't, if they've lost their jobs and been out of work, then they're months behind on rent. So that's that category of at risk of becoming homeless because sometimes people have family members and and others that they can crash with, you know, couch surf, that kind of thing. So we have definitely seen an increase at St. Patrick's Center with, um, and then you've just got folks who are, who were the homeless population before the pandemic. And then how do you keep everyone safe? And I, I'm really proud of St. Patrick's Center. We are a very safe place. We've only had in this entire, what, nine months, we've only had, I think about under a dozen cases where a staff member tested positive. And it wasn't because, <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't because someone came in and spread it around the building. It was probably choices people make when they're not at work. And um, we were able to, you know, contain that. And it's just been great and the clients have not brought COVID into the building, so to speak. You know, you talked about the evictions eventually coming down the road. I've seen some stats. Kelly, they're, they're numbing. It's shocking. Yeah. 
and um, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna be here to help. One one thing that I see as a positive out of the pandemic is there's new funding sources. Now I'm not on the grants team, but just being on the senior management team, I know that they're just CARES Act, for example. You know, uh, the Paycheck Protection Plan. There were a lot of ways that didn't exist before the pandemic to try to get your business and your mission funded. So we're going after it. You know, if there's money to um, prevent homelessness, which is kind of what we just talked about, those folks that might just need a month's rent or maybe the gas bill paid or or a security deposit, you know, to start an apartment, we, we're going to go after every dollar we can get, you know, let alone what individuals and businesses donate, which we call unrestricted. That means like if you write a check, we can spend it on what we need to spend it on to end homelessness. But some funding, as you know, comes very programmatic or it's very streamlined to, for, say, for example, veterans. You know, there's a 26% of the people we serve are veterans. Mm. You know, we're going to plug this a lot. Make sure I've got the right site. stpatrickcenter.org backslash donate. That's correct. And even if you just get to, and it's ST, I usually kind of mention to people because a lot of people spell Saint, S-A-I-N-T, but it's stpatrickcenter.org. And even if you get to that page, uh, there's a donate button on every page. <laughs> and we are in the midst of our year-end campaign. It's the best, you know, for any charity, these are the biggest months, November and December, um, to go after donations because it's really when people feel charitable. And, and of course, they're looking at the, the actual calendar. You're like, oh, I need to make some donations so I can write them off. And my boss just told me yesterday that um, there's a federal rule now that you can, they're going to let us donate 300 more dollars per person that you can write off on your taxes beyond the standard deduction. So he's telling people, donate $300 to St. Patrick's Center. You can write it off. <laughs> I love it. You've been doing this now. St. Patrick's has been open since 83, correct? Very good. Yes. 1983, Edith Kinane, God bless her. She passed away in January. So we lost Edith in January. But in 1983, she was a social worker who was coming downtown. And uh, it's just a great story. She was in the middle of winter. She ran into some folks sitting outside and she, she went up to him and she said, Where are you? Why are you sitting outside on a cold day? And the gentleman said, Lady, where do you think I would be welcome? And that, that really stuck with her, and she went to Catholic Charities. She worked with not only Catholic Charities, but the Archdiocese. And the Archdiocese at the time had an empty school at 6th and Biddle called St. Patrick's School. So guess how we got our name? <laughs> A lot of people think it's because of St. Patrick. Um, he is our saint, but we were named after an old school in North St. Louis. And they gave Edith the building and she started St. Patrick's Center with the help of Catholic Charities in 1983, and it is still going 37 years later. And we did lose her in January, but her family is very involved. Her husband, her children, her grandchildren, they are very intrinsically involved in St. Patrick's Center, you know, all the way through to 2020. You know, Kelly, whenever I hear stories about that or like that, I always think in my head, how many Ediths walked by before the right one came through? It is so true because you know, we, that's a fun conversation to have too, is like panhandling is a good example. Because when I, like when I speak to kids, especially high school kids, kind of hard to capture their interest. But if you bring up a subject of panhandling, everybody's got a story. And as human beings, you know, we, we want to connect with each other, but we don't know what to do when we see a situation like that. Like you said, you know, downtown Chicago is one of the ones I can always remember where there's one on almost every block and it's freezing cold and they've got their, you know, their pans for money and such. But we want 
to help people, but we don't know what to do. And many people just choose to drive by or, or walk by. Um, Edith, Edith was called, I mean, she really did feel called to do that. And she did, she did say one of her most famous quotes is that she just felt that she was an instrument of what God wanted done in the St. Louis community. I think that's a beautiful way to say you know, what she did. You know, and you have forgotten more about the St. Patrick's Center than I know. I did live in Chicago for a while. And so one of the things I really love about the St. Patrick's Center is in Chicago, and please take this for what it's worth, those people that are popping up downtown, that's like their job. I mean, they show up at 425, right, as people are going to work. They leave at 630. I mean, when I was in Chicago, I would walk up and down Wacker Street which was right by Union Station. And again, were they homeless? Were they not homeless? Um, that's really for not me to say, but this is not in St. Louis at St. Patrick's Center. This is not what's happening when you think about what we both noticed in Chicago. Right. You're, and you're absolutely correct. And it is going on in St. Louis. I did a, a, a set of stories with Mandy Murphy and Fox 2 a couple of years ago. And they got, Fox 2 got some great footage of a con. It, it's a con. And so that's what we really do speak to people about because people tend to want to roll down the car window, you know, pass out a couple of bucks, make themselves feel better, maybe, you know, and, and truly want to help that person. But I write stories for St. Patrick's Center. I, I meet people and, and talk to them about the journey, you know, from homelessness to, to changing their lives, transforming and to independence and dignity and all of that. And they will, to every single one of them has told me if they can't handle that they use the money for drugs and alcohol. So we want people to know that. And there's also a lot of cons going where, um, like Channel 2 found out, that people were doing that to go back to their drug dealers at the end of their shift and then get their drugs for the day, you know, turning in that money that they collected. So it's not a good idea to give money to panhandlers. And the panhandlers who get tired of that racket, who are truly homeless, they're going to end up at St. Patrick's Center. And that's where we can really make a difference. As you know, um, a person has to be involved in the types of work that we do with people. I mean, if someone doesn't want any help, you can't help them. But we do. And lives change. And we, we have rehabilitated a lot of panhandlers over the years. How did you end up at St. Patrick's Center helping out? My path is... A little bit different. I majored in broadcasting, wanted to be on the news, so I've got a bit of a radio career, a bit of a television career. My TV years, I will say, um, are behind the scenes, which I absolutely adored. But, you know, from a young child, I, I fell in love with Karen Foss, and that's what I wanted to do. So I would say the first, you know, six or more years of my career was in the news business. And then I got into the advertising business, advertising, marketing, PR. I lived in Florida for seven years. I'm a writer. I mean, the one thing I can do is put some words together. So that's how I've been able to earn a paycheck for about three decades. And um, interestingly enough, when I relocated back to St. Louis, I got hired at Channel 5 to produce Show Me St. Louis at 3 o'clock. I think it's on at 10 now. And Dan Buck was the anchor. And so show. I was a producer. Yeah, that's so that. And so then let's see, that was roughly in the early two, in 2000. In 2003, he announced that he was leaving his radio career, leaving his um, television career to go be the CEO of St. Patrick's Center. At the time, you know, the jaws were dropping, you know, no one could believe that he would do that. I didn't even know what St. Patrick's Center was. 
So he leaves, I think he started on St. Patrick's Day of 2003 as CEO. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was sort of like a seed that was planted with me because I couldn't let go of it. And then next thing you know, he's calling me. He knows I'm a producer. He's creating these wild outlandish fundraising events. And he said, I need your help to pull off this event called the Sports Trivia Championship. So that was in 04. And I jumped on board as a volunteer for a couple of years with that event. Very, very large scale trivia night. St. Louis, as you know, is trivia night central when there's not a pandemic. But this one was on the floor of Scott Trade Center at the time. There were 110 tables of 10 on the ice, you know, in between hockey games. It was insane. <clears throat> and it was all sports. So Dan, Dan called me. I think it was roughly, <clears throat> excuse me, i take a sip of water. He called me. You sure that's water? It's water, I promise you, but it's, but it's in an Elvis cup. Uh, I don't know if you can see that. Well, it's a little hard to see. There's Elvis. Um, anyway, Dan called me and said he had a position he wanted to talk to me about. So in the summer of 06, a long, long time ago, I joined as their communications director and um, really has been the greatest move of my career. Um, did I make a leap for a ton of more money? Nope. Not when you work in nonprofit, but the rewards are great. And what I've been able to do for the organization, it was like Dan couldn't find what he wanted to accomplish all of the projects in the communications world. But if you laid what he wanted down in a job description to my resume next to it, they matched. So I feel like God put me right where I'm supposed to be. And I'm still here. <laughs> well, and Dan's the one that hooked us up. I knew I wanted to do a couple episodes with charities over the holidays. He's been on the podcast. So when I told him, who should I contact at St. Patrick's? Kelly Peach was the name I yeah. got. Yep. So, so really Dan Buck ends up being the seed that was planted in my life. So someone else's decision about his career um, was something that I needed to pay attention to because it changed my career. And, and do I still have all my friends in the media and, and love all of that radio TV stuff? Absolutely. But I can develop those relationships to provide them with great story ideas, you know, instead of being the one that's pitched the stories like I used to be now, I can pitch the stories to them. You know, if you've got a number for Karen, I've been trying to get in touch with her over Facebook and it hasn't been working. I will, I can probably drop her a line for you. I'd be happy. I mean, I, I, felt, I felt like a kid in a candy store when I started at Channel 5 because the people I had looked up to my entire life were just passing me in the hallway. I mean, I, I didn't even know, I, didn't, I couldn't even speak to Karen. I had, I had met her many times, but I was so intimidated by her that I rarely spoke to her when I worked there for a few years. And now I would consider her a friend, but I, I had to just get over it. You know, like when you finally get to meet your hero, you're tongue-tied. <laughs> how can you imagine? Like, I can talk, right? So can you imagine me tongue-tied? <laughs> When you were at Case to K, did you ever work a VP fair? Um, no, I did not. You know, we, you know, I was there for 9-11 though. That's uh, probably the thing I'll never forget. 9-11 um, happened when, when we were there. So obviously our show went off the air for the week and we, we all got on to hard news. But So Me St. Louis is a really neat show that can just talk about fun things to see and do in St. Louis. And my producer, my co-producer and I were able to win an Emmy for a show that we produced about Phantom of the Opera. They took us behind, you know, like when those big old trucks come into the Fox Theater and we got to put together a half hour show about how they bring that to a city and build it and, you know, the costumes and the props and everything. And we won an Emmy for it. So I couldn't be more blessed. I, I had a blast in television, but it is hard work. 
putting on a live show every day. I went to your website to try to find some nuggets for this interview. Do you do the videos that I saw on the website? Yes, I do. In fact, I work with Mike Martin Media, and the fun story there is Mike Martin lost his job at Channel 11 when they merged with Channel 2. So Melanie Moon connected me with him, and he and I had a conversation. He was working out, he was a video guy, working a former TV cameraman working out of his basement, and I was his first client. And now he's got uh, over a million dollar a year business he, and he's got a bunch of employees and they make the most amazing videos. And so he, I've been collaborating with Mike since 2008. Yeah, we love, we love making videos. And for people who haven't been on the site, which I had not, it's updated all the time. So you've got a really good testimonial section. You've got a really good monthly newsletter. As a St. Louisan during the holidays, you should check it out. But if nothing else, I think it's a good place to kind of get a pulse on what's going on, especially in the city. Right. I mean, because we are located in the city and um, the entire St. Louis metro area has a homelessness problem. There might be some counties that would say they don't, but they do. And there's also that idea that, well, it's not really an idea. It's become fact, but people tend to get dropped off in the city too, but the city tends to be where the most services are. So if you're homeless, you probably are gonna migrate toward where the places are that you can go for breakfast, lunch, dinner, you know, um, sleep for the night. And St. Patrick's Center is one of many organizations that touches that mission to end homelessness. But we do try very hard with social media as well to just let people know what's going on. Um, sometimes I feel like the website isn't as fresh as it should be, but, but we try. And if you, if you got that impression, that makes me feel good. And I love those stories. I think I'm in the 170s now of people I've been able to sit down with and either uh, interview them for a written story or being able to do a video. It's a little bit harder to recruit them to do video, but we've made, you know, we make videos whenever we can. You know, we get somebody who's willing to sit and talk to me and have, have that cameraman be in the background. Is the following number correct? assisted and helped more than 3,700 people this year? Very good, yes. In fact, the annual report um, is hot off the presses. Um, this is audio, people can see it on our website, but if they're watching this video, I just held it up. But basically, it's probably just being added to the website as we speak, and in the year that ended June 30th, we're on a fiscal year, so our years end on June 30th, but yeah, we, we did 3,700 clients and their families and that's that's a lot of people coming for help and they come for all different things but um we ended up with 471 new housing placements so of all those people um, almost 500 of them are now in housing and then there's another thousand almost another thousand of those 3700 that we maintain housing that could be um that we're still helping with some rent or helping with case management because you know when someone is truly homeless they may have no income at all so we help with that as we help them get towards stability. People may be in case management, you know, for a year or two, but eventually I like, I'll get um, notes from case managers from time to time. Oh, this client I've been working with for two years finally just became a hundred percent stable and able to write her own rent check. And they're just thrilled to be able to do that, to be able to write the check for the total amount of rent. And that's what we, you know, I think that's the biggest, most important thing about St. Patrick's Center to impart on the community is we're not just giving someone a fish and feeding them for the day. We're teaching people to fish 
so that they can take care of themselves for life. And it's just that it's not the handout, it's the hand up. You know, there's a lot of ways to say that. But that's why I think I'm so attracted to the mission is that we're just not standing at the door. We don't write checks and hand them out the door. We, you know, do we feed people? Yes. Do, do we provide some shelter? Yes. We're opening up a warming center tent right now just because we can't have a couple hundred people in the building every day during the pandemic. So we're going to have a tent outside that's going to be warm and the seats will be socially distant, you know, and going to take care of a couple dozen people when the weather turns the opposite of today. And today is like almost a spring day. But we, um, it's, I just love the fact that we help people transform those, that, that human redemption element of what we do to me is the best thing about St. Patrick's Center. And Kelly, you know, if you're, you know, if the number's 3,700, the number's probably really more like 6,000 because you're helping their kids, you're helping exactly. the family they were leaning on, that whole network that was being involved in that situation is also being positively affected, not just the 3,700. Exactly. And like, just as an example, um, those 3,700 folks, we provided 67,000 services. So take 3,700 and how many times do those people come back to meet with their case managers, to take a class, to, you know, like maybe an NA meeting, an AA meeting. I mean, there's just so many different things that we've got going on. So our, we, what we did was we said, okay, 67,000 services, what does that mean? So we looked at it and of all the caseworkers we have, there's a lot, there might be a hundred caseworkers. They provided on average 555 services, you know, so that's more than one a day. I mean, that's a, that's a busy day of this, this, you know, this, these things just coming and going all the time. And do some people come and we tell them how it goes and they, they wanted the check and they wanted to walk out with a, a check. Yeah, but, but we'll be here when they, when they change their minds and want to come back, you know, but we are not a handout. <laughs> Where does the money come from? Are there endowments? Is it, I, I, I didn't, I didn't see on the yeah. site. One thing, one thing that um, is true about revenue these days, um, more than half is government funding. That's kind of a scary position to be in when you think about it, you know, because that's a lot of your, that's a lot of your operating money um, coming from government programs. But for example, we have about two or three programs funded by the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. We've got one funded by the U.S. Department of Labor. Just to give you, you know, an idea, there's there's many funders like the Missouri Foundation for Health, and we get money through the Missouri Department of Mental Health. Um, but when you got almost half of it coming from government, where's the other half come from? Um, we, it's from individuals and businesses and foundations, and then our events. We've got some, in a non-pandemic world, <laughs> we have some really big, fun fundraisers. And uh, those are very successful and contribute to the bottom line. And then people give in kind. Um, for example, some people may not have the cash, but they can, they own a business and they can donate tons of bottled water or um, winter coats. We've got some, some funders that will just buy our veterans winter coats for the winter. You know, so um, it all adds up. Um, it's about a $15 million company, if you will. And um, we couldn't get by at this point without those, those government funded programs. The great thing about podcasts is they don't go away. So we're doing this, but it's going to exist forever. So one more time, let's do this again. Scary. Patrickcenter.org backslash donate. Or for, I think it's forward slash. Yeah. Forward yeah. slash. That's correct. Or Thank if you, you just go to St. Patrick's The writer in you just couldn't let that slide. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, 
depends on how you feel, which way your slash goes. Depends on what kind of day you're having. <laughs> so as we're taping this, we're getting ready for Christmas, and I'm always about the kids. And during this COVID thing, everybody's being stretched thin. Everybody's got their own issues. But if you're doing anything as you listen to this prior to Christmas of 2020, what can they do for the kids? For the kids, we've got, we're probably in pretty good shape right now because it's already December 10th, but we have, at the end of the year, we have a, a give thanks program where we um, collect donations to be able to provide turkey, traditional turkey Thanksgiving meals to clients and their families. And then it gets even more exciting in December where the community sponsors or adopts, if you will, uh, families. And the families fill out a Christmas wish list two gifts for the mom or the dad, two gifts each uh, for the, well, I think they can put as many things as they want. And then the sponsors, let's say I adopt a, a mother and two kids. I buy two gifts for each of the people on my wish list, and that's called Christmas Wishes. And that's about to happen next week. I think really it's almost all put together because next Wednesday and Thursday, the clients will come and pick up their Christmas presents. So we've got a Santa shop with um, Christmas presents being wrapped and, and again, in a non-pandemic world, this is a big operation with lots of people, but we're just doing everything safely this year. Um, you know, probably a lot of it being done, maybe in, you know, people doing things at home and then bringing them in, but it is a really cool sight to see the Christmas wishes giveaway and how grateful our clients are because we don't, again, it's not a handout. They've been working hard all year to deal with their challenges, deal with their issues. And one of the rewards of that is they fill out a wish list and the community collaborates and adopts these folks to get these presents for them for Christmas. And again, I don't mean to blow this out of proportion, but this is where my head goes. Give a kid a gift. Maybe that kid's just somebody who is on a better path in the next two, three years and doesn't go into needing more help later. I know, you know, a GI Joe only can go so far, but that's where my head goes when I think about that kind of stuff. Right. Like Channel 5 just announced last night that they, they hit their goal of over 4,000 families in their, their the, adoptive, the adoptive thing that they do. And they whenever they have a kid that's available for adoption, they do these heartwarming stories. But then there's a little wish you can grant at the end. and You can donate to that. And then they, I think they granted 4,200 little wishes. And that's what I'm, you're saying, like a G.I. Joe. It could be a bike. It could be a game. Um, you know, a set of headphones, whatever it is kids want these days. Um, it, sometimes it's like a little girl wants to go to a spa and get her, <clears throat> get her, you know, a manicure and a pedicure. And I just thought that was the greatest announcement they made last night that, I mean, I was thinking 4,200 kids in this community that had to make wishes that way, you know, to get something for Christmas. That's mind blowing. You know, that's a lot of kids. Okay. I want you to brag on yourself for a second. Give me a heart-wrenching story that will cause people to want to donate money or gifts that you personally saw and you, you know people should, should realize this is what happens. Sure. I've, there's just so many, even the ones I've, I'm just thinking of the ones I did this year. We've got this great new program called Hospital to Housing. And you've got the hospitals are dealing with people who are chronically homeless coming to them in the ERs and you know, when they don't feel well or they're freezing to death. So we've started starting to partner with this hospital systems in St. Louis. The first one is BJC Healthcare. And I had the privilege this year of meeting two or three of these clients. Um, these are, again, people who are 
chronically ill, they've been chronically homeless, truly living in the streets, and just going into the hospital maybe for an admission here and there, and it's costing the hospital a lot of money. It costs way less to do what we do, is <laughs> to work with us. We get them into housing, get them into case management, nurses going there, case managers going there, you know, if they need meds, whatever it is they need, we've got them housed. And you know, we came out with a report that showed hundreds of thousands of dollars saved by the hospital. So it's gonna be cheaper for them to partner with us than to have this influx of what they're called high utilizers. So Maurice was one of the gentlemen I spoke to. It was the day I met with him. It was in the summer. We all hot it could be in St. Louis. His air conditioner was broken in his apartment that day. They were working on it, but it was 85 degrees. He had a fan. He had a futon that I sat on, and a um, kitchen table, like a tiny kitchen table and a chair. And, and we socially distanced and got his story. And one of the things I just loved is he said, I, this has been a real eye-opener for me. I just want to take my meds and never be homeless again. Hmm. And the guy didn't have anything. He, he All he wanted was a coffee pot. I mean, he was making coffee, running hot water out of the faucet to make a coffee. And he was sitting there with that semi-warm coffee and a cigarette and was he was as happy as could be. And I mean, that just got me, you know? And then there's the story of, of Roland, who um, has had the most traumatic past of abuse that I've ever heard in my life. I had a hard time maintaining my composure during the video interview we did. He had a tear running down his face the entire time. Child abuse, teenage abuse, military abuse of the worst kind. And now he's a staff cook at one of our apartment complexes on North Grand, turned his life around. I mean, I've, these stories, they're just magnificent. George was a vet. Um, he had a, a history, of, a real bad history of drug use. And when he started to put things back together, he went after the woman he loved and proposed. They had kids together. They piled in the car to drive back to St. Louis. The car flipped and she was paralyzed from the waist down. So what, what does it do to George's life? Completely upside down. He rebuilds his life again, and then the pandemic hits, and he loses his job. Now he's on our facilities team. So not only is he a former client, he's my coworker. And these, sto these stories are just incredible. And I, that's, why I, that's probably what keeps me going, is being able to meet these folks. There's a woman in a tiny house who went through our Women's Night program, and they found a tiny house for her with plumbing. <laughs> Don't get me going on tiny homes. <laughs> <laughs> with indoor plumbing and uh, it's right next to a church that she now goes to and I mean she had a hard hard life on the streets so hopefully those are just a few examples of of the people we've helped probably not as many kiddos but children are really not our direct clients they're like you said the children of our clients I don't know of one but is there a misconception about St. Patrick's that you would like to clear up that's a really good question uh, really good question. Thanks for asking. Um, I've been myth busting. Uh, like of course, we talked about panhandling and, and really not a good idea to give them money. Um, we can dive more into that if you want. But the, the other two big myths, we're not really a shelter. We do have a shelter program, which is for the women at night. And I can, again, explain, explain more about that. But uh, we, we're not a giant room full of cots, you know, and bunk beds. We are really more like a day program. We're, we're mostly open. We're, there's stuff going on seven days a week, but we're really busy Monday through Friday during the normal business hours. And 
we're also not a soup kitchen. We have a hot meal every day at noon, seven days a week. We're doing to-go meals and to-go containers now because of the pandemic. But we have a beautiful casserole program that's almost as old as St. Patrick's Center that the community provides these casseroles on a monthly basis. We've got parishes that have been making the same casserole for 30 something years and bringing 30 of them frozen, you know, to our back dock once a month. I love muscatchouli. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's a muscatchouli. There's some really, I think one of the most popular ones is Frank and beans, but there's some hamburger. One of the ones that I don't think they like is a, Oh, I think it's something like hamburger and rice, but I mean, one smells better than the other when you're in the kitchen, you know, you know what I read? People should stop donating ramen because people get hurt cooking the ramen. You know, I've heard that too. That's what I, I used to um, have a friend of, who worked at a burn unit in Georgia, and that was the number one cause of burns was people um, pick, like like kids reaching up for their ramen and the whole thing pouring down on them. And, stuff. and I used to give it because I thought it was easy and I could buy a bunch of it. And it was like six months ago. I read this story. And yeah. I, I felt it will kill you. Ramen noodles will kill you one way or the other. But really, those those emerge. So to get back, like myth busting, like I, you know, I've been I've been pretty much trying to say we're not a shelter, we're not a soup kitchen, but we we are a little bit. So we I probably need to. You know, we've got a new CEO, and you know things kind of change when CEOs change. But we we do provide emergency needs such as food. You know, we do shelter up to 30 women at night. We're building a whole new dormer in our building for the women um, that will probably open early next year. And that's all because of the pandemic that the women went to Little Sisters of the Poor when we needed to get them out of our building because we, had, we did have an exposure early on. In fact, like in April, everyone was freaking out when a building had a COVID exposure. So we moved the women in our night program to Little Sisters of the Poor, up, you know, kind of down on West Forest and a little bit north of us. And that's, uh, they had some empty floors and the city started using that as an emergency shelter. The women had their own rooms. So instead of 20 women in a dormer room at night with rollaway cots at our place, they were in their own little former convent rooms <laughs> and loving it. So what do you think we're doing at 800 North Tucker now? We have a construction project going on. We rearranged a bunch of things, and next year, up to 30 women, well, I think we'll have funding for all of this, will have their own little rooms at night uh, to be a part of the Women's Night Program. Are the women involved in the day? Yes, they absolutely have to be involved in our day programming as well, because, you know, they might be working with mental illness, substance abuse, you know, drugs, alcohol, whatever it might be. Um, it takes time to work on, you know, but they will have a safe place at night. And then um, just don't give, don't give money to panhandlers. <laughs> and again, them. in an effort to get people to open up their wallets, I hope this is a small percentage or one you don't know, but if you were to say women who are homeless, is there a percent that they're homeless because of abuse? Oh, I don't know the answer to that. I was just going to look up um, our male, female. So we 60% of our clients are male. And 40% are female, so it's not a 50-50 thing. You know, I mentioned earlier, 26% are vets, but that that's a great question. We we're so St. Patrick Center is a is a member agency of Catholic Charities of St. Louis, and another one of the Catholic Charities is called St. Martha's Hall, and they handle domestic violence. You know, their clients are victims of domestic violence, and um, I've heard news stories during the pandemic that with people being told to stay home, domestic abuse went through the roof right. this year. Right. 
Right. So, and the other thing that's going through the roof is the suicide rates because people right. are just losing it. Yeah, right. And so I will tell you, I, I don't get to interview as many women as I get to interview men just because of the percentages. But many of the women I've spoken to about their stories that were abused, either by their parents, relatives, or you know, significant others. Absolutely. stpatrickcenter.org front slash donate. <laughs> what is what is the Shamrock Club? Okay. Well, the Shamrock Club is how St. Patrick's Center started over there at 6th and Biddle in the original building. Um, Edith, uh, to quote Edith, and not to be derogatory, but she would say, it was a coffee pot in a room full of drunks. <laughs> That's what she said. But it was, a day, it was the start of a day treatment program that exists today, the Shamrock Club. So really, it's a program for people who are often duly diagnosed with, number one, a mental illness, and number two, a substance use disorder. I'm hoping I'm using the right terms because even in my years with St. Patrick's Center, there becomes old ways of saying things like, you don't say substance abuse, you say substance use disorder. <laughs> it used to be mental health, now it's behavioral health. So forgive me if I misspeak, but it's a really great program, not only of fellowship, that's a really cool thing that happens is people who are further along in the Shamrock Club can be peer support for people who are just coming in wide-eyed and afraid, you know, and feeling some people come in like, I'm not one of these people. I don't need this help. But they get coached by the folks that have been around a lot longer and have been through it. And really, um, if you think of something like an alcoholic who goes to a meeting every day or every week, that's what the Shamrock Club is. It could be that one touch point that is keeping someone in his or her housing. That, that difference that it makes. And so it's been so hard this year to not have so many of our Shamrock clients in the building. I mean, they've had to really rotate people. Mm. And they, they've had to say, hey, if you're in housing, stay home. It's safer. But we can't wait till we can all be back together again. You come in that Shamrock Club on a non-pandemic day, there might be 200 people in there for lunch. And then, you know, 50 to 100 in there before and after, just meeting with their case managers and hanging out with each other. There's a pool table, there's a piano, there's, there's leather couches, there's a TV, there's laundry and shower and a big old cafeteria, you know, not to mention all the case management, you know, the support services that we can provide around that. And you're a wordsmith, you're a writer. <laughs> I really liked how they called it, I'm, I'm doing the air quotes, person first. So you don't call somebody a homeless person. They're a person experiencing homelessness. You are correct. I learned about this probably about 10 or more years ago. And I can't believe how much the media does it. I, and I'm from the media. Like I, when I know a reporter well enough, I will kindly tell them to stop. Does it make headlines of newspapers longer? <laughs> yeah, homeless person is shorter than person experiencing homelessness. But we work on that really hard. I mean, I'm, I'm the proofreader at St. Patrick's Center, and I change it all the time uh, when other people are going to donate money and do a news release. You know, I just correct it. And it's in, before you know it, I think I say that in that article that's on our website, next thing you know, you'll just be doing it automatically. But when you first start doing it, it just seems really strange, but you could take any disorder, any disability, anything that someone deals with, it shouldn't come first. They're a person first and what they're dealing with comes after that. And walk me through this. And again, I'm, I'm throwing myself under the bus. It's on the news. Actor, billionaire, multimillionaire, 
I'm fine with calling him a drug addict just because he had choices, he had opportunity. And again, correct me, but I do think the vernacular then becomes something which is acceptable. So I can't call the millionaire drug addict actor a drug addict. I have to call him a person with mental illness. Yeah, it takes longer. It sounds weirder. But if you just try to program your brain that it's person. I mean, these people, like my mom always says, they're children of God, <laughs> all of us, no matter what situations we've been born into. You can't pick your parents, can you? And um, we're people first, and then stuff happens. And if you just kind of put it in your head that way, it gets easier and easier to do. But yeah, we call each other names all the time in this, in this world, in this country. Yeah, we're a big old name-calling USA. But I, I like to call it out when I can and, and always write the way that we should so that when people see it, maybe it will sink in. And, and if I can kindly point it out, especially in a, something like the media that reaches so many people, I will. How many volunteers do you have at St. Patrick's Center? On an annual basis, it's almost 4,000. I think our, our new number is 30, I want to say, oh, I haven't memorized these numbers, 3680, 3,680. And a lot of those people I mentioned a few minutes ago, the casserole program, we've got a couple thousand people that are casserole cooks for us on a monthly basis. And then we have people that come to our events. We have people that come to our buildings and help out. Um, there was a volunteer there today with her mask on, just helping out with our fundraising team. Right now, there's a lot of donations coming in, so it's a lot of paperwork, a lot of data entry. So we had someone in there helping us today with that. Lemon and lemonade, what did we learn during COVID that's gonna make St. Patrick's better, stronger in 2021 and moving forward? That's great. I think we learned how to think out of the box. You know, we had to go when, when certain types of money might have dried up. You know, you just start thinking about people being out of work and not being able to donate at the capacity that they have before. So how are we going to get the money? Go find it somewhere else and serve people in a different way. We've had to think about how the meals get to people, how the clothing gets to people if they need it, how the case management. I mean, we were doing case management on Zoom in the beginning. You know, whatever, whatever it takes. If you can't go into someone's house, I mean, back in the beginning, everyone was a lot more paranoid. Now we know what to do. Um, so, so treat, you know, just adapting to the world you live in and still being able to assist people. Get creative, think outside the box, go after different kinds of money. And the Women's Night Program, a little dormer that we're going to have, it's going to be on our second floor with 30 individual bedrooms. That would not have happened without a pandemic. Is there something before COVID that now you realize, man, when I get an extra 20 bucks, donate it to this, because this is, we didn't realize we had the need. We didn't realize that money could go as far as it goes, but now we know. Right. And I, I just, I think we're really fiscally responsible. So it's, you know, if you give a dollar to St. Patrick's Center, 85 cents of that dollar goes exactly to what we've been talking about during this interview, people, programs, services. We can run the business on the other 15%. I just think that's so fiscally responsible and anyone who donates to any charity should be aware of, of what that charity is doing. There are some charities that's 40 cents on the dollar. You know, so someone who is going to be charitable should really be aware of the fiscal 
responsibility of the agency. We we want we mostly want unrestricted dollars to be donated because we know where we have the needs. You've got programs that fluctuate with funding. Like you might have a program like the Women's Night program. It's a wonderful program, changes lives, gets women stable, gets women housed, but it has no funding. Well, then when we have donations from the community that are unrestricted, we can put the money where it needs to go, and it's going to go to a good cause. Any information about how they're going to or not going to allow you to distribute vaccines? We are, have not ventured in that area yet. I, I do believe we've got a very forthright CEO, Anthony D'Agostino, and he just worked out a deal with a company, a for-profit company, that has funding to distribute tests to cover us on tests. So as of maybe next week, we're gonna have pretty good accessibility to our own rapid tests and our own two to three day tests. So like the ones that you do, you self-administer and then they go away and you find out two or three days later. So um, I'm feeling in that same vein that when it comes down to vaccinations, he's gonna be a real go-getter and he's gonna make sure, you know, we're gonna be about social justice and people who are experiencing homeless this deserve a vaccination just as much as anyone else. So I'm, I don't have any new information on that, but I'm confident that we will serve the population that we serve with vaccines in a timely manner. You know, as we get ready to wrap this up, we started talking about people are going to start getting kicked out of their apartments. They're going to start getting kicked out of places because the money's due. My concern for people like you is you're just going to get freaking overwhelmed and it's, it's already taxing and it's already something that I'm mentally incapable of doing because I, I just couldn't, I take it home and it, it affect everybody around me. But as we're trying to uh, look forward, what do you want to tell people that they should know and, or can help with, because I'm sorry, I'm not a politician. I'm not an economist, but this is coming. And I'd like to be a little bit ahead of the, the curve on this one. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like Dr. Anthony Fauci says. I mean, we, you know, like they're saying now that we still don't know what's going to happen from Thanksgiving. And by the time we get toward Christmas Eve, it, we'll probably know. But then it'll be a whole Christmas wave. So there is going to be a wave. We call it the ripple effect. I mean, um, homelessness is going to go up because of the pandemic. But, but, but if someone, the way I look at it is, if you did not suffer greatly this year, then help someone who did. It just really boils down to that. So if you have an organization that you love because you believe in their mission and you know they're doing good and, you, and, you, and that they can continue to do good during a pandemic, help them out. I, I really feel like this is going to be a good campaign this year for fundraising because I think the people who didn't struggle are going to help the ones who did. That's just what my gut is telling me. And I think the numbers are starting to show, but, but truly, like you said, there's people that aren't going to be able to give what they did last year. Then maybe someone else can step up. Maybe the people who really can give will double their gifts. Um, I just want people to understand that there's no way, you now Kelly Peach is just one person, one speck on the planet, but there's no way I'd spend 14 years somewhere if it wasn't a great organization, a great place to work, and a great place to enact change in our community, change in people's lives, because not everyone can figure out those things for themselves. They need help. Mathematical equation. If you're a company out there 
and you've had a better year than you did before, take two and a half percent and give it someplace else. I love it. I love it. In this community, I don't, I don't know if you've lived and worked in a bunch of cities. I, I've really not been out of St. Louis too much. I did have some Florida years, but this is one giving community. I would say we would, could be in the top in the nation of philanthropic cities. This town always comes through. And I know we're going to weather all the storms that we have, including COVID-19, and we will help each other. This is a little big town, and it's pretty awesome. So, Kelly Peach, author extraordinaire. <laughs> I'm waiting to write the great novel. I just keep writing, and maybe one of, the, one of these days it'll be the big one. <laughs> what are the books you've had published? Okay, so my first two novels are about Elvis Presley. The first, they are historical fiction. So if you like to read a novel about something that really happened and with a couple of fictional characters inserted to help tell the story, that would be my books. The first one is called Waking Up in Graceland. And that is truly about a girl that wakes up in the basement and finds out it's 1960 and Elvis is home for Christmas. And then the sequel came out three years later called Amazing Grace. And that picks up right where book one left off. and I have a readership of, I would say, largely Elvis fans, but if you really like to fantasize about hanging out with your favorite celebrity, these are the books to read. And if you like Elvis, if you find him interesting, or if you want to learn a little bit more about Elvis, you'll have a great ride. And it will be a trilogy if I can find the time to get started on the third one. You know, and I'm very, very proud that during the pandemic, my mother and I collaborated. And she illustrated my first children's book, and that just came out. It is called The Kitchen Bowl Gang, and it is a story of friendship, a little bit of bullying in there, some, some life lessons, and they're inspired. Uh, the wisdom of the book is inspired by some quotes out of the Bible. The, and you know, the title of the last one was what again? The Kitchen Bowl Gang. And where, can you buy it on Amazon? Can, where, where do you buy it? My website is piccadillypeach.com. It's P-I-C-C-A-D-I-L-L-Y, peach.com. I am a self-publisher, so I have a, a little LLC, and I've been publishing my own books. And I think I've probably sold about on my way to 1,500 books. So I feel very, very blessed, and I'm just going to keep writing. <laughs> I, I don't have children, and I won't have grandchildren. So when I go, when I leave this planet, I'm going to leave behind a box of books. <laughs> How's that? Well, I think what you're going to leave behind is all the families and lives you changed to St. Patrick's, but if you want to sell some books, I, I hear you. Here's an idea for you. So I'm a father of three. I probably have seen less than 10 non-Pixar movies in the last 20 years, but I really enjoyed Yesterday, which was the character where if the Beatles had not existed. Did you see that? Loved. Okay, so I was raised on the Beatles. My, my father loved Elvis, but he's that right age where the Beatles blew his mind. And when I grew up, he would come home from work and put a stack of Beatles records on the on the turntable and people who remember this. And then when one record would finish, another one would drop down and that needle would go over and start the next record. I adore the Beatles. And that movie yesterday is really, so I burst into tears on that thing that happens near the end. I literally burst into tears. Well, they got, yeah, they got the interview. With, for people who haven't seen it, shame on you, but I won't. You get another year, and then a year from now, I get to ruin the scene for you because you've had plenty of time to see it. Really? Me personally liked? Every song they sang was pretty much the same except for Help when he was losing it. And I thought not only... Did that mean, did it catch my attention more because it was the only one? 
but it really added depth to that last third stage of the movie. Yeah, it's it, it's just so clever, and that's that's why I I see I got crazy about Elvis, and I think it was like '09. I went down and did the whole Graceland thing, and if anyone's not been to Graceland, you really need to go. It's just such a slice of Americana. I mean, it's the second most visited home in the United States to the White House. And when I went down there, you know, some people can go do all that Elvis stuff and survive. Other people can't, like me. But I felt really lucky to be on Beale Street that same year. I might have had a giant beer in my hand, but I, a light bulb went off in my head and it said, waking up in Graceland. And the plot just fell on top of me. And I remember going into the bathroom, I had a Blackberry. I'm like emailing myself in the bathroom stall, idea for book. And I, it was such a great creative outlet to take something you love, like you were mentioning the Beatles in the movie yesterday, take Elvis and then write a whole story. And then all I did was research him over and over and over again to be a savant about what he did in 1960. So that if people read my book, they, they can't, like my dad said, why are you so worried about the details? I'm like, because the Elvis fans will know if I did it right or not. And I had a woman that somebody bought the book for, she was a Graceland tour guide. And somebody in St. Louis heard me on the radio, sent her the book, she read it and she contacted me and she said, for someone who doesn't know what's behind all those doors, you did a really good job. <laughs> <laughs> and then she invited me down and took me back and told me, she took me on a private tour of the mansion, you know, just, there were other people in there, but she and I were alone and she's like, okay, this is where he had all the birds and the, you'd open up this door and it'd be bird cages full of birds. <laughs> so I can go on about Elvis for the rest of the day. We'll do another podcast about Elvis. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Maybe for his birthday, January 8th. <laughs> Hey, Kelly, uh, St. Patrick's is lucky to have you. Thanks for the time. Oh, thank you for your time. I really enjoyed it. Uh, ha happy holidays to everyone. And um, don't hesitate to reach out and ask questions if you have them. And we'll be happy to answer them. But I can encourage everyone that St. Patrick's Center is worth every dollar you donate. stpatrickcenter.org front slash donate. Correct. Very good. Thank you. Happy New Year. Let's get this pandemic over. And another one for the books. Thanks for subscribing. We will see you this Thursday for another fun St. Louis conversation. But I'm not going to tell you who. As we do, thanks for your time this time. Till next time, so long.